Hey everyone, Corey here. It's time for the weekly recap. Our reading today, our assigned reading in Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV uh, was the entire book of Romans. That's what we covered from Sunday to Saturday, which is today, the day this video is being released. The entire book of Romans, Romans 1 to 16. So let's jump right in. Romans. So we find out actually at the end of the book of Romans, kind of, you know, what's going on. What is the situation that inspired the Apostle Paul to write the book of Romans in the first place? So it was originally a letter written to the Christian churches in the capital city of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. All right. So we find out in the end of Romans that it was authored by the Apostle Paul, that it was physically written down for Paul by a man named Tertius. I am probably not pronouncing that right. I'm English. I'm Canadian. It is what it is. But while it was written while Paul was on his way, he was traveling to Jerusalem to deliver financial aid from the, the churches in the Roman Empire to the churches in Judea and in Jerusalem specifically who were going through a difficult time. We learned that Paul had a plan to visit Rome afterwards uh, on his way to Spain specifically. So we find out that he has planted church churches in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And now this letter marks a change in his plans. He wants to go from Rome and beyond into the western portion of the Roman Empire. So uh, this is the situation of his writing. This letter is supposed to be going before him and laying that groundwork uh, so that he's already known in more than just reputation by the Roman Christians. He's known by a personal letter as well. So because of the book of Acts and thanks to church history and church tradition, we know that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and he was, you know, several years later, a few years later, taken to Rome uh, to stand trial. And he lived in Rome for a few years. Uh, tradition tells us that he was released from that imprisonment. He went on to more missionary journeys before coming back to Rome and ultimately being killed or executed by the empire. All right. So Roman prepared. Romans, the book of Romans, prepares the way for Paul's visit to Rome in quite a few ways, actually. He deals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He deals with the relationship between Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles uh, because there, there's a Gentile-Jew issue in the city of Rome. Remember back in the book of Acts, it was mentioned that at one point the Jews were actually expelled from the city of Rome because of these issues uh, between Jews and Christians. So this is a contentious issue that's continuing on in the Christian community. So we're going to see that as a large theme. Okay, that was a big introduction to Romans. Uh, but here we go. Romans chapter 1. Paul talks about how he wants to visit Rome and how Christians all across the Roman Empire have heard about the church in Rome and they're really thankful for them. There is a Christian witness in the capital city of the Roman Empire and they're faithful. Paul then outlines or overviews the general state of humanity. 
humans can know God. In fact, they, they know that there is a God, but because of their rejection of God, um, their hearts have now been hardened, their consciences have been calloused, uh, leading to all sorts of idolatry, all sorts of sin, sexual immorality, all sorts of depravity, so all of these bad things, generally ungodly behavior. So Paul sets up the human condition for us. In Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about hypocrisy here. He's like, you also, Christians, you are also are evil. You come from these things. You were rescued out of these things. How dare you pass judgment? Basically, he's saying, how dare you have the self-righteous attitude, you know, this this kind of like, well, I'm saved. He's like, no, you're evil. We're all evil. No one is perfect. Um, God is patient with us in our human condition. He's patient with our uh, sinfulness uh, in order that we can come to repentance, his patience leads us to repentance. It should not lead us to this place of self-righteousness. This, oh yeah, I'm great because God accepts me. I'm saved. I'm his chosen kids. Nah, stop it with that. Paul goes on to talk about how we will all stand before God and give him an account of our lives, give him an account of our attitudes. So don't store up the kind of wrath that self-righteousness will bring upon yourself. Uh, Paul talks about how Jews and Gentiles are exactly the same here. Uh, we have all sinned, right? That's quoting a little bit farther ahead, but we've all sinned before God, um, and we're both going to face God. So Paul bringing this up right away in chapter 2 makes us realize that he is speaking to some sort of real-world Jew-Gentile tension when it comes to the judgment of the way people are living. So he's talking about looking at the way people are living and making judgment calls based off of who's more righteous or who's better. He's saying, stop it. Stop being self-righteous. You're not the judge. God is the judge. He criticizes Jewish Christian self-righteous attitudes specifically a little bit later on uh, in the chapter. And he, he, he goes, you know, remember the point of salvation? Do you remember the point of the law? Do you remember any of this? I want to read to you verses 28 and 29 of Romans chapter 2. It says this, A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, or is circumcision merely outward and physical? No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So, so with true Christianity, with true piety, with true righteousness, there may not be any outward or outside markers of a person's piety. So religious symbols that they wear or religious things that they have done to their bodies or not done to their bodies. There may not be noticeable signs or symbols that people can look at them and be impressed. Oh, wow, you must be really pious because you're altering your look or you're altering uh, your body in such a way. Uh, but 
remember that God judges and praises the transformed heart, not the transformed out, outward body or uh, physical body. That's not what God looks at. That's what humanity looks at. So this is what Paul um, is hitting here in Romans chapter 2. Okay, Romans chapter 3. Is there then any advantage in being a Jew? Because remember, Jewish Christians were by and large still following the dietary laws. Still, They were still circumcised. They still observed the festivals. So is there any advantage then in being a Jew was Paul's next question. And the answer was yes, there is. They have the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of the prophets of the scripture of being raised with that and, and steeped in that. However, Paul goes on to talk about what's more important is God's faithfulness because there is absolutely no advantage whatsoever in being a Jew when it comes to salvation because salvation doesn't depend on how we live. It depends on God. We all Jews and Gentiles are under the power of sin and we must be redeemed by God. Salvation, here in Romans chapter 3, it's defined. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We've all of us fallen. We all need the same rescue. Romans chapter 4, Paul takes us back to Abraham, the physical father, patriarch of Israel, of the Jews. And Paul says that, Actually, Abraham is not just the father of the Jews. He is also the father of all believing Gentiles because the Bible tells us that before Abraham was circumcised, so before he had the outward markers of Jewish piety, the Bible tells us that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it was his belief that made him righteous, not his outward physical sign of being a Jew that made him righteous. So this means because Abraham did go on to be circumcised, he received the covenant of circumcision. Abraham is the father of the circumcised, of Jews, and also the father of those who believe and are not circumcised, so Gentile Christians. Paul's whole theme here in Romans chapter 4 is Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, you are a family. Be united. You have the same father. Romans chapter 5. So he, Paul talks about how we as Christians, we don't boast in our righteousness, in circumcision, in freedom, but instead we boast in the hope of the glory of God, that promise of salvation that he's given to each one of us. And we also glory in our sufferings because, to quote Paul here, suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope, more hope, right? Uh, none of us really like to hear that. I'm not sure of anyone who's like, yeah, let's, let's suffer. That's awesome. That takes willpower to do that. It's not a natural inclination. We don't naturally want to suffer, but it can be a very productive thing depending on the reason that you're suffering, right? All right. Then also in Romans chapter 5, there's this imagery of Jesus Christ as the final Adam. 
So Adam, you know, the first man that was created by God back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, that first couple. So there's this symbolism that Adam brought sin to all of his children, to all of humanity. But Christ brings life to all. So again, this emphasized, this imagery emphasized all people. So Adam is the father of all and Christ can be the father of all who come to him, right? Now, that's not the only thing that this imagery does. I'm I'm this is a recap. So I'm not going to be able to get into all the uh really awesome theological details, but I'm just trying to give you an overview here. Okay, so it can this does connect with a major theme of Paul's that whole you are all one you are all a family okay Romans chapter six this chapter is all about how we as Christians need to live like we are dead to sin we have died to sin but we have been born to Christ we have been born again Paul goes on to talk about how you are either slaves to sin which pays terribly, death, or you are slaves to obedience that pays in righteousness. So you're either a slave to sin or disobedience, or you're a slave to obedience, specifically obedience towards God. And these have very different results. Verse 21 to 23 says this, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Talking about when you were slaves to sin, before you were saved. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so there are two very clear paths set before us in one is life eternal life righteousness holiness and it may not seem like the easiest way right now but it's the best way and the other way which comes very naturally to us is to be disobedient to God to be slaves of sin and it may seem like it's paying good dividends it makes you feel good temporarily but the end is death nothing that satisfies all right so these two paths Romans chapter 7 again this theme live like you're dead to sin Paul talks about how the law of God, so going back to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this law of God that's commonly called the law of Moses, it convicts us of our sin. It lets us know uh, what's wrong. It helps us know what's sinful, what disobedience is versus what obedience to God looks like. And Paul talks about the struggle that he has, you know, as an apostle of God whose life is spent for this, this internal struggle that he has and that we should be having as Christians on a daily basis with our natural inclination to disobey God, to disobey the ways of God. We should not willingly live or give into disobedience against God. Rather, we should struggle against us. 
and Christ will save us from this struggle one day. We're not going to just be left in this place of perpetual struggle. It's described as an internal war, but one that has an end and one that God alone can help us win. Romans chapter 8, we have an obligation to live by the Spirit of God, to walk according to God's morality rather than our own morality. Now, this stings because all of us likes to think that we're moral. We all like to think that we're basically good people, but that's not what the Bible teaches. We have an obligation as Christians to walk, to live our lives according to God's morality rather than our own morality. We need to purposefully put our sinful deeds, our disobedient deeds to death. We need to convict them like a criminal as evil and sentence them to death. Stop doing them. You no longer have a right to live in my life, sin. I'm going to stop doing you. I'm going to execute you, right? Paul reassures us that the struggle that we have now, it will be worth it. God will help us in our weakness. We're not going to be perfect, but God is going to help us. He's going to show himself strong. And we have salvation already already through Christ. Like our job now is to live according to that salvation. We're not going to be perfect, but we need to be earnest. Not perfect, but earnest when we mess up right? Like, uh, how do you know if you're being earnest or not? When you mess up, because we will, are you sorrowful about messing up? Do you really want God's help to change? Or, as you self-reflect, are you actually using this idea of God's mercy and God's patience and God's forgiveness as an excuse to indulge yourself, as an excuse to sin? If we are We need to tell God that. We need to repent. We need to confess that to God and ask for help to change that behavior because God will help us. He will help us with that. Romans chapter 9. This is all about how Paul is very upset over Israel's general rejection of Jesus Christ and how he, he... He teaches that God has an overall master plan to save all of his children, to save all of those who will recognize him. Romans chapter 10. This is Paul's prayer for Israel, for the nation of Israel, for physical Jews, physical descendants of Abraham. His prayer for them is that they will be saved because they need to accept Christ and Christ's righteousness rather than righteousness through the law as the Old Testament prophets themselves speak about. So that's what chapter 10 is all about. Romans chapter 11, this continues that theme of God's overall master plan um, of salvation um, and how not all of Israel has been rejected as God's people. There's still a remnant. The Gentile Christians, uh, he gives some some counseling here if you're if you're paying attention to Uh, the, the themes in the text. The Gentile Christians need to be careful not to disdain Jewish Christians or Jews who reject Christ because 
Gentile Christians need to recognize they've been grafted in to the tree of God's family. They've been grafted into the children of God, just like an olive tree accepts grafts. You know, when you cut off a branch and then you take a different branch and you graft it on and stick it together and the tree will accept that and begin fruiting through that branch. That's you. And he's like, you know, if you were cut off once, you can be cut off again. So just be careful. Paul begins to push the concept of being humble with one another, of having humility as one of our virtues. There's a mystery at foot, Paul puts forward. There is a mystery of God with God's plan for Israel and the Gentiles, and it will be made known as history unfolds. So again, Stay humble because you're not God and you may not understand all of God's plans. In fact, you won't. God's higher than you. So there's this push for humility in Romans 11. Romans 12. This talks about how your proper reaction as a Christian is to become a living sacrifice, a living sacrificial animal. You're not actually, you know, Christ was the last sacrifice. God doesn't demand your blood. But... We need to become living sacrifices. We don't live like the world says. We don't live by the world's standards. You know, by the world's standards, I'm a pretty stand-up person. I'm a pretty good person. I've never broken any laws that I'm aware of. But that's not God's standards. So don't live according to the world's standards. Instead, our minds need to be renewed by God and, uh, and God's word and God's ways, we need to be transformed in our minds, in our thinking. Then we will know what God's will is. This is the whole thrust of Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite chapters. Be humble is another point of Romans 12. Be humble because you're a part of a body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ, you are a small part of the body of Christ, an important part, but a small part. The body has many parts. You are valuable, but so are other parts in the body. So those other parts may have different purposes than you, different jobs that they're supposed to complete. You don't decide their value or their purpose. Even their actions, you don't get to decide what they do. Guess who does get to decide their purpose and their value and their actions? The head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. It's none of us. So then there's this really amazing list of things to do and attitudes to have. Uh, the first part goes like this. I'm going to read you just the first part. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And just a quick side note here with that hate what is evil and cling to what is good. This is not an excuse to emotionally hate people who practice evil or who are in the world. This is in your own life. Hate your sinfulness. Hate your own evil desires and your sin and your disobedience and cling instead to what is good, to the ways of God, right? Okay. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. 
honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I'm going to skip a couple lines down. The last line is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, just a few more chapters here. Romans chapter 13. This is a doozy. In this one, Paul encourages, commands the Christians in the city of Rome to be subject to the governing authorities, like the governmental authorities of the Roman Empire. Now, why would this be an important command to the Christians in Rome in particular? Well, they're living in the capital of the Empire of Rome that was pretty contrary to God's laws, the laws that governed Rome, especially the moral and social laws, if not the written ones, pretty contrary to God's law in basically every way possible. Ultimately, I think that this is about the witness of Christ. So basically Paul's saying, you have a front row, the, the, the empire of Rome, the emperors, the governors, all of that, they have a front row seat to your attitude and your lifestyle, Roman Christians. Don't be troublemakers. God has us here in this time for a reason, to be a witness. So submit to their authority and live like Christ. Get their attention as good subjects because that's what they're looking for. They want good subjects. And then show them Christ. Tell them the gospel, right? So Paul then goes on to say that love your neighbor as yourself, that golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, encompasses the entire law because of the love that you're expressing. You're expressing God's love for others. Paul also says, you know, we are only here for a very short time. Time is short. Whether Christ comes back tomorrow or we live out our natural lifespan and die, that is still a relatively short amount of time. So live as Christ. Make the most of it. Okay, Romans chapter 14. This, again, talks about disputes among believers, among Christians. So, as a mixed church of Gentiles and Jews in Rome, uh, and also just backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds of Gentiles as well, um, they seem to have a few main issues with each other, one being food and one being holy days or religious festivals. So Paul goes, you know, stop fighting over these things that ultimately don't matter. Follow your conscience. Don't judge each other for things like food and holy days, for the ways you're expressing your faith. God is both your judge and the other person's judge who's living their Christian faith a little bit differently than you. Each person individually will stand before God and give an account of their lives and actions. You will stand before God and give an account of your life and your actions. So make sure, make stinking sure, that what you're doing is in accordance with your own conscience. What you think is following God faithfully. I'm going to read this quote. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace 
and mutual edification. So Paul wants us to prioritize peace in the church and a mutual edification that's building each other up in God. Back to the quote. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So Paul is saying, think about other people. It's not about what you have a right to do or a right not to do. Think about other people first. Put their edification as a top priority. Back to the quote. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. How hard it is to keep things between ourselves and God. We all have so many thoughts so many opinions, but sometimes we need to keep them between ourselves and God. Ultimately, Paul is telling us not to waste time trying to justify ourselves and our actions to other Christians. And likewise, we should not waste time being other Christians judge in disputable matters. We're not God. We are not other Christians' masters. He's the head. I've heard pastors say, that job is taken, right? And how true it is. Okay, Romans chapter 15. Here's the thing, though, with all of that. We read verse 1 of Romans chapter 15. It says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Here's a very unpopular biblical teaching, guys, for Christians today. We should change our lives to accommodate the people around us in order to help those around us. This is the opposite of what our culture says. Our culture says, I have rights. You need to change for me. You need to make me comfortable. I am myself. I will live out my truth. Right? Those are some of the things that are commonly heard in our culture. Instead, it should be more like this. How can I help others grow in Christ? How can I strengthen my Christian community? Is there anything in my lifestyle that's causing other people to stumble, to sin, to not understand who Christ is, or to not understand Christianity. Then Paul says a lot of other really hopeful, lovely, peaceful stuff about the result of a lived out faith. So a life of following Christ. And then we hear about Paul's travel plans. Romans chapter 16, which is the end of the book, is Paul's greetings to a bunch of different people. The first person that he mentions is a deacon named Phoebe, uh, and she is a deacon from Sencria. I know I'm not pronouncing that right. 
but she was traveling to Rome and so was likely entrusted to carry Paul's letter to the Romans to the Romans, so to the church there. Then a lot of other interesting Christian people are mentioned by Paul, and there is a warning to stay away from people who are causing divisions in the church and infighting in the church specifically over like what is lawful for Christians to eat and what feasts and festivals they should be celebrating, that kind of stuff. Rather than focusing on that, Paul says, focus on your own lives and focus on trying to stay obedient to God and building each other up, be united, be a good witness. All right, then there's a blessing that closes out the letter. And there we have it. We read Romans or recapped Romans that we were supposed to read this week. Let me know if you were able to read all of Romans this week or if you were just, you know, recapping with me today to get caught up. Let me know if you have any questions about Romans or if you have any favorite parts. I hope you're having a really good week and I'll talk to you next time.